Out right over here. Little joy bubble right there. <laughs> they say feed what you want, starve what you don't. I want that. <laughs> She's going to giggle through the whole thing. Great. How's everybody doing today? You're present, right? Present and accounted for. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Um, this message this morning is about joy. Thanks, Catherine. And um, for some of you, you're thinking, okay, message about joy, awesome. I'm all about joy, great. Of course, I don't really need to hear this because I'm the captain of joy, right? Some of you feel that way, Annie. Some of you feel that way. Right? Others of you are like, um, I hate this because I am not all about joy, and I don't know how to be all about joy, so I don't really want to hear this. And some of you, there always has to be a third category, are feeling like whatever, because whatever, and so whatever. (laughs) Right? Just trying to get us all present in the room. I want to make a bold claim this morning. Romans 14, 17 says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And as my good friend and most joyful person I know on the planet, Dave Knoll, says, uh, that's joy is one-third of the kingdom, right? Normally, I actually like to get Dave to come and speak about joy because he bubbles it. Um, I'm not Mr. Joy Effuser, right? But in faith today, I'm going to proclaim the good news about joy. Is this thing going in and out again? Okay, because it's not going to make me joyful when that happens. <laughs> Here's here's the big claim. If if uh, joy is a third of the kingdom, joy is a part of the inheritance of the believer. Joy is a command of the New Testament, and it's the promise of Jesus. So if we miss or reject joy as a key element of our walk with Jesus, we've missed a treasure. We've we've missed a significant command, and we've missed out. I'm just going to bold here on the heart of Jesus. If we miss or reject joy. So who wants to listen now? Just help me out. I need a little help. All right. Everyone wants to listen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are present and in your presence is fullness of joy. We thank you that the kingdom of God right here among us, within us who know Jesus, is righteousness because of Jesus peace because of Jesus, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, uh, we just say we want you to do your work here this morning. I ask God that you'd illuminate the scriptures that we look at, that you'd give me facility to speak and um, to demonstrate and to exhort toward joy, and we ask for the joy of Jesus to be ours. In his name. Amen. All right. Uh, lots of biblical words for joy. I'm not going to go through all those. Ian and Adam have been doing a great job in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, if you really love that stuff, though, that Bible project has got all those little videos, four minutes or so, um, specifically on the themes of Advent. They've got a bunch of them. So you can look at that. Just Google Bible project Advent joy. In fact, a lot of this introduction comes from that video but I won't talk as fast as they do. 
So there are a lot of sources of joy, and let's be honest, isn't that what we all want? I mean, the theology of joy might be fun, but what you really want to know is how do I get it, how do I keep it, and if you're not a complete pagan, how do I give it away, right? Because that's, I mean, we want this. You love to get the Christmas card that says joy because something inside you says, I really long for that. I really need that. And everyone around me needs that. So I want it so I can experience it and live in it and give it away. Genesis 1, uh, God's doing his creation deal, and he says over and over after every bit of creation, and it's good, and it's good, and it was good. And then he, he creates man, and he says, it's very good creates this, this person in his own image. And, and as if he's seeing himself in a mirror, he says, that's really good. And so it's natural that we would encounter and receive joy from the things that God creates. It's not idolatry to take joy in another person, in a meaningful relationship, or to take joy at a wedding. The Bible even talks about wine as a source of joy. I'm just saying that. I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying that. The created things, those things that God has made, can be sources of joy. They can also be sources of addiction and idolatry, etc. But our focus here this morning is joy. And so there, there are lots of things that we can take joy in. Uh, the beauty of creation, meaningful work, pleasant events, weddings, celebrations, life-giving relationships, the people that God made in his image. And by the way, you don't get to pick and choose. It's all everyone, right? God made every person in his image, which means that every person could be a recipient and a source of joy. That might change the way you walk into work tomorrow. Like, oh, these could be joy givers. Not sure why that's funny. Especially for the person on staff. For some reason, though, history is not just a big joy fest, right? Because along with this joy in heaven, joy in creation, all of that, there's a parallel story, right? The parallel story is sin and brokenness and envy and violence and all of that stuff. And so we've got these, these two stories running parallel, the joy of all the good that God has done, the way we can rejoice in it, and then this, you know, this tack we as an entire human race have gone on away from God. Uh, sin, evil, greed, violence, the corrupted world. And so biblical faith offers this unique perspective on joy and describes it, and it's on the screen because I love the definition, describes it as an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, bring into into themselves, say yes to, not because of happy circumstances. we got nothing against happy circumstances. We love them. But because of their hope in God's love and promise. So you think about it. When the Israelites were slaves, uh, were, slaves, were slaves in Egypt, were slaves in Egypt, they were longing for someone to deliver them from this slavery. Slavery. And they're waiting. And so what happens is God sends the promised one. He sends Moses, the deliverer, and and, uh, Moses delivers them. He leads them out of bondage toward 
the promised land. I'm not saying into the promised land, but toward the promised land. And the very first thing that the people of God do when they get uh, out of slavery and are standing where? Uh, good in the desert. All right? What, what they're facing, what they're right in front of, slavery is behind them. What's in front of them? The desert. And the very first thing that God's people do in the desert is sing for joy. Because they're thinking about what had happened. They're in the midst of their own reality, even though what they see desert. And they're thinking about their eyes are the eyes of their heart are peeled on what expectation of the promised land. What's coming? That's so important for us to be recipients, manifestors and purveyors of joy. In the world. So the psalmist says it like this when he's looking back at Exodus 15. He says, Psalm 105:43. he brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. And so joy in the wilderness becomes a defining moment for God's people. Joy in the wilderness. Now, just take a deep breath. I'm not going to bring you all into the wilderness. Some of you are already there on your own. Right. But we got we got to deal with this, this reality that for God's people, a defining moment of celebration and joy was in the midst of the wilderness. It was in the desert. It's a way of saying that joy is not determined by current struggles, but by future destiny. Joy is not determined by current struggles, the stuff that's, you know, taken away from us, but by future destiny. Just hold on to that. Because there's, there's more coming. And so it's interesting that when Jesus was born, the announcement is, Behold, I have good news of great joy that will be for all people. So Jesus comes into a broken world. and The declaration of his, uh, of his incarnation, the announcement of his coming, is about great joy right in the middle of a sin-sacked world. And Jesus can go on and even say to his followers, blessed are you, Matthew 5:11. blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. What the heck? It doesn't say that in the Bible. I'm just putting that in. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice in the wilderness because great is your joy and reward in heaven. And we'll see joy as a theme in the words of Paul and Peter to the churches in the New Testament. Joy as a choice, joy as a gift, and joy as a promise. But more than just choice and gift and promise, joy as a reality, even in the face of death. Because why? Hebrews 12, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he's here in the wilderness of the world for the Joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's where our righteousness comes from. He despised the shame, dealt with shame. That's where our peace comes from. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so that we can look to him and say, there is my joy seated in heaven right now. Jesus defeated death with the power and the promise of joy. I have, that, I have a star in my notes, and it says, repeat. Jesus defeated death with the power and the promise of joy. 
So when we believe that the love of Jesus has overcome our worst adversary, even death, then joy becomes reasonable. (laughs) I know that's crazy. Joy becomes reasonable even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because why? Remember the, the definition, an attitude God's people adopt, not based on happy circumstances, but on their belief in, and their hope in the love and the power, I messed it up, but it's good, of Jesus, the Redeemer who's come into the world. And so Paul offers to you and to me joy, which becomes a profound decision of faith and hope in the power and hope of Jesus in our lives. And so you're saying, great, good message, can we go now? Joy, supposed to have it, don't have it, whatever, right? But what, what about you? Because, I mean, we're here, we came into church, we're thinking about God, but we're thinking, what about me? But, Randy, do you know, like, my life? What about joy in my life? What about the reality of right here? Do you know, you, you might know what's going on outside. That's hard enough. You have no idea what's going on inside. How many people feel that just a little bit? Oh, yeah, you don't want to hear this. Luke t- uh, 2 and Isaiah 9. I'm just going to read these two scriptures. I'm going to sort of jump off from them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on them. But really one Greek word <laughs> is where I'm going to jump from here. Luke 2, 10 to 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the, t- in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. To say to you. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, say to us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's my point. The little word, in Greek it's one word, human, to you. The Savior came to you. The Son was born to you. That's a, that's a dative. Let's see, dative means to or from. A dative, plural, means everyone, right? So, so here's the point. The Son of God was born, Ron, to you. Catherine, you already know it. To you. The Son of God was born to us. And, I, and that's important for this reason. <clears throat> Jesus' birth and the gift of joy that comes with it is not like a bread truck arriving in a poor city, first come, first serve. It's not like a, a special at Walmart while supplies last. Right? It's not like first Saturday at Goodwill. Those of you who've done it, know it. It's an historical reality, a real person, a decisive moment in history with a definitive result for all who receive it. Great joy. The son was born to you. So the question is, if the son was born to you, if it's for you, how do you say yes to joy? If this is good news of great joy for all people, and you're a part of all people because you're one people, right? Then how is it that we say yes to joy for ourselves? I got three points. I Actually, two and a half points. 
Because the first point is a don't, not a do. So it doesn't really count as a whole point. So go tell everyone, Randy, to the two-and-a-half-point message. The first point is this, and you see it all through the text. Every time an angel comes to declare good news of great joys, joy, the very next thing is do not be afraid. So the way we say yes to joy in our lives is, number one, by saying no to fear. By saying no to fear. That's the beginning. Fear is given to us, if we're thinking about presence, fear is given to us by the enemy like a gag gift. Do you ever, <clears throat> I'll go off here just for a second because it just popped into my mind and it just might be God. I was in a fraternity in college. I was the chaplain. Didn't mean a lot to anyone at the time. But I remember we had a Christmas gift exchange. And, um, wow, I don't, should I supposed to say this? Do you know what I'm going to say? No. <laughs> we had a Christmas gift exchange, and I was the chaplain, and, and, and so everyone was getting these gifts, and some of them were funny, and some of them were, some were serious, like somebody really liked, you know, the, the Ohio State Buckeyes. They got a Buckeye shirt from their little brother in the fraternity and stuff like that. You know, it's all kind of fun, and everyone's laughing, and there are like 60 guys in the room, and I, somebody gives me a gift, and it's got my name on it, and I open it up. It's a Playboy magazine. I did not feel loved. I, I, I did not. I did not. It was like a gag gift. Because what they were really saying was, let us take another chance to publicly humiliate you. Because you stand for Jesus. <laughs> Easier said than done at the time. But here's the point. Fear is the gag gift that the enemy gives us. You know, fear is the gift he says, you know, this, you can actually take comfort in this. Go with the analogy. You could take comfort in this. This will make you feel better. If you worry enough, then clearly, you know, you know all the stuff about fear. Fear is a gag gift from the enemy himself. And the way that we open ourselves to and say yes to joy is by first, put your hands out like this, by, by first, putting our hands down and letting joy, letting fear drop, all right? Just picture it. Let fear drop. And more than just drop, I think more than just letting fear drop, we want to go like this. You know, here are my hands. I got the fear from the enemy. I'm going to let it drop, and I'm going to throw it behind me. You know, get behind me, Satan. No more gag gifts from the enemy for us to try to sustain ourselves with in the season of joy. Right? So, number one half, do not be afraid. You wonder, how did Mary, Joseph, and the others do this? How did they get rid of fear? I mean, Adam did a great job talking about Mary. She could have been distressed, right? Her life was ruined. She might think, I'm out of my gourd here. But I listened to the, she listened to the word of the Lord through the angel, and the angel said, fear not. So how did she heed this direction? It says she treasured God's words in her heart. She treasured God's words in her heart. Not the enemy's words, you know, not the crazy stuff. She treasured God's words in her hearts, in her heart, and that she carried on. And she says to the angel in the midst of, can you just imagine her? 14-year-old virgin pregnant 2,000 years ago, bad situation. And she says, let it be to me, as you've said. 
I'm the Lord's servant. God, whatever you want for me, I want for me. I'm not sure she realized what she was saying was, I want all of you in me to go through me to the world and bless the world. I don't know if Mary got that. But her yes, her no to fear and yes to joy at that moment changed everyone's life. Joseph started his own little freak-out session, right? You can just see his mind spinning. Okay, 13-year-old, 14, pregnant. I was never with her. Was I with her? I was never with her. I'm just going to divorce her quietly. I mean, that's, that's, that's Joseph's freak-out session. Like, I think the best way to do that, and we get to see it in the Bible. I, I'm just going to get, I'm just gonna, pretend like this never happened. Just put it away. He's probably thinking, I'll move. And then God speaks in a dream and says those famous introductory words of any self-respecting divine revelation, do not fear. Presence of God, I'm scared. God says, do not fear. And so in the midst of his confusion, Joseph says, okay, what else do I have? I've got to trust you. So today, my question is, can we... Let fear drop and push it behind so that our hands are open for joy. That was just my half point, okay? Let me give you the second and the third so you get them in context because this is a part of the, the, the joy of our inheritance as a people of God, but specifically as a vineyard church. So here, how we say yes to joy. We let, we let go of fear. Fear goes behind. But then we accept the now and we expect the not yet. We accept the now, the reality of our lives right here, and then we expect, that means we look towards the not yet that God promises. Accept the now. Don't deny the reality of your current life. So much of our world is geared to help us deny the reality of our current lives, to medicate or get rid of or pretend it's not true or you know, put a filter on so I look better than I am or whatever, all that. I don't do a lot of that. So, But a way that we say yes to joy is to accept the now, the right now, the current reality that you're in. Faith does not mean pretending that your life is other than it is. That's not faith. That's fantasy. Now, there's a fine line, right? That's why I gave you the the not yet and the now at the same time. We live in the tension. We live between the times. Jesus has come. The kingdom is here. He heals. He delivers. Joy, fullness, right? And he's coming again. He's not yet here. The kingdom isn't fully here. And so we live in the tension. So when I say accept the now, don't hear that this is all there is. But don't deny what is. Don't deny your pain. I sat with a guy yesterday from another church. He's mid-30s, has a couple of kids, respectable, got a lot going on, good things in his life. And what he's telling me is I finally realize I've got to deal with my childhood. I've got, to, I've got to have a talk with my parents. You can see fear on him. Because he didn't want to have to go back and relive the pain and cause pain for others and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I got to encourage him, accept that now. This is, what, this is what's happened to you. Let's deal with it. Let's not push it aside. Let's deal with it. 
the incarnation was not enacted by God in order to take us out of reality. Right? What's the incarnation mean? Jesus, who's in a perfect heaven, descends into an imperfect reality and says, I'm not taking you out yet. First, I'm here with you. And it's hard. You've you got to deal with the past. We've we got to deal with the past. We don't have to dwell on it. We don't have to live there forever. But we can't deny it, avoid it, pretend it never happened. I mean, the beautiful thing about God being outside of time is that God can be perfectly, fully present to your past and bring healing there. That's why we do sozo and we do prayer counseling and we pray all the time because we know that God is, he was, and he is to come right in the midst of us. When we deny or suppress or avoid or pretend like our, our, our past pain isn't there, we deny the very hope of Christmas. Which is what? God with us. Emmanuel. God doesn't invade our fantasy lives. I'm just going to get happier, I promise. It's joy. (laughs) But we've got to deal with the now. God doesn't invade our, our, our fantasy lives. He invades our human lives as a human. Not as a spirit, not as a demigod, not as a Hollywood superhero. But he invades our lives first as a dependent child who grew up day by day and year by year, finally realizing that he was sent into the world to be the healer and savior of the world. And where does he realize that? In the world. He realizes right in the middle of the world, right in the muck, when, when things are getting, when things are hard and difficult. Jesus doesn't wait for us to fix our lives or, or empower us to deny our lives, our past and our difficulties. He declares and he demonstrates, I'm here with you in your life right now. And Psalm 1611 says, it's in his presence, in the now, in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. That's the promise. So when we accept the now, when we deal with it, we go to the counselor We confess the sin. We deal with the sin against us. We finally forgive those who have wounded us. We finally deal with it. We're willing to go back into it, knowing that Jesus is present in it. You know what that does? That enables us to encounter joy. I can't remember. Throw the sine wave up there. I can't remember where I heard this, but probably a counselor, one of the many counselors I've seen probably told me, I remember hearing, to the extent that we suppress or deny sorrow, we suppress or deny joy. That our emotions are like a sine wave. Now, it may not be perfect. I don't know if it's, it all works like this. But think about it. To the, to the extent that we suppress or deny the sorrow, the difficulty, the sadness, we, we suppress our ability to encounter the joy. So nobody wants to go into sorrow. It's not fun. But you know what? The path to the up is the down. It's sort of the upside down nature of the kingdom. Jesus said, you want real life? Just die to yourself. You want eternal glory? Just pick up your cross and follow me. Where are you going? Death. (laughs) (laughs) On the way to resurrection. When we can't selectively numb our emotions, at least not in the long term. 
some of you look at that and you say, okay, hold on. <laughs> you want me to go to my sorrow so I can get more joy. Does that mean the more joy I get, the more sorrow I get? This does not sound fun to me. But you know what? Let's deal with reality today. Jesus was called Isaiah 53, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And in Hebrews 1, it says he was the most joyful person on the earth. That's Jesus. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In our present life, being with us, perfect, without sin, right in the midst of us, and the most joyful person on the planet. So, yes, if we open ourselves to joy, if we live in reckless abandonment towards joy and hope and faith, there will be disappointment, there will be difficulty. There's no doubt about that. But what happens in us is we, we increase our capacity to receive God's joy and his love and his power. And then we've got something to give to people in their sorrow and in their sadness. If you haven't dealt with your own stuff, it's real hard to go and be present to someone else in theirs and be a joy bringer. But that's God's call upon us, right? It's the second half of our mission statement, you know. Love and power of God, awesome. Give it away to the world. How? By dealing with our now. Right now, accepting the now. So Jesus could say, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And for the joy set before him, he could endure the cross, despising the shame. And complete his life task to reveal God's love and power to us. And he could teach his disciples, this savior of the world, with full integrity. I say to you, remain in me here in reality and I will remain in you. Obey my commands, stay in my love, and my joy will be in you. And the promise of Jesus, Jesus' words, not Randy's, your joy will be complete. You know, half-hearted joy for the followers of Jesus. Mary and Joseph, you know, had to accept their reality. They had to keep walking in spite of what it really felt like. I mean, we skip over that the angst that Mary and Joseph must have felt. Like, I mean, they weren't thinking they'll I'll be written in a book and I'll be a great hero and they'll, you know, do movies about me. They're just thinking I'm screwed. That's what they're thinking. Oh, no. But somehow, by God's grace, the presence of Jesus in their midst, they, they, they hang on. They accept where they are, and they walk faithfully in reality. Who's the one person that gets it right off the bat in the Christmas story before the birth of Jesus? Nah, Mary, I mean, this is... Nah. I'm looking for a right answer here. John the Baptist. J the B, the little guy, right? Because what does John the Baptist do? He's, he's the in utero superhero, right? John the Baptist recognizes somehow the Savior of the world is present. And what, his very first reaction to the presence of the Savior was to leap for joy as a little baby in a little tummy. I'm pointing to a pregnant person. John the, Baptist, John the Baptist gets it. He doesn't even have a fully formed brain yet. 
But his spirit recognizes what? The invasion of the future into the present. That's what he gets, I think. I think John the Baptist realizes not everything's peachy from now on out because it only gets worse after Jesus is born. Not no one will ever be sad again. Certainly not I'm going to have a wonderful life. John the Baptist didn't get it. Beheaded if I just have to remind you. No, I think what John the Baptist realizes, he jumps for joy in the middle of the imperfect womb during a sad time for God's people and at the beginning of more difficulty because he realizes that the future king has just invaded the earth. That the future is here. So yeah, there's a difficult now, but we have an unbelievable not yet. And to some extent, it's already here. And talk about faith. Talk about faith, six months old in the womb without a fully formed anything, and he leaps for joy. It's, an, it's amazing. Why? Because he knows there's a not yet coming. In fact, he realizes that the not yet is here. I mean, it's, it's, it's in utero. It's, it's just we're expecting it. It's just about to come. And so we say no to fear. We accept our now, but we've got to expect the not yet. Joy has to do with accepting and living in our reality, but in light of the inevitable, but not yet, because the kingdom of God is here. When Jesus came, Mark chapter 1, he says, repent, change your minds, believe the good news. What's the good news? The kingdom is here. The rule and the reign of Jesus is here. It's available in your life. It's available in our church. It's available in our neighborhoods and in our city. Jesus is here. He's come. The power and the love of God are present in our midst and want to go through us. That's really good news. And we've got to keep looking for that good news in our now. Just because it's not yet doesn't mean it won't ever be. It just means it's not yet, but inevitable. If it was my words, I'd say it's probably going to happen. But this is the word of God. It's inevitable. In fact, it's already here. The kingdom is here right in us and upon us. N.T. Wright writes about the early church. He says, what's striking is that despite all the suffering and persecution, the apparent failure, internal division, and so on, the dominant note of earlier Christianity was not hope, although there was plenty of that, but joy. Something had happened that made everything different. And what happened is the future king had arrived in the present with the power and the love of the future kingdom. Hail King Jesus. He's right here in our midst. And and what a source of joy in our lives. We say yes to joy by saying no to fear, by accepting the now in the presence of God and by expecting the not yet, that is, living by faith. The Old Testament prophets writing in Hebrew had a way to talk about what would happen in the future by using a tricky verb tense. I've talked about it before. It's called the prophetic perfect. 
So you look in the Bible and you see all these places where, you know, to us, a, a son is born, a son is given. It sounds very present. You know, it sounds like all these things that were promised have already happened. And you're going, wait a minute. I know my history is a little off, but I don't think at that point that the Messiah had come. I don't think they'd been redeemed yet. How does that all work? And the prophets, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would write in Hebrew a real language in a real tense called the prophetic perfect. And what they would do is they would, as they're looking at the promise of God, they were so filled with faith, so certain that this promise of God would happen, that they wrote of it as if it had already happened. They lived in the prophetic perfect because that's how secure their faith was, that the king was coming, was going to bring his kingdom was going to change everything. The prophetic perfect serves to express actions, events, or states which the speaker wishes to represent from the point of view of completion, whether they belong to a determinate past time or extend into the present, or while still future, they're pictured in their completed state. We get a chance to live in the prophetic perfect. We let go of fear. We accept where we are right now. We deal with our stuff. And we set our eyes, our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who's come, who's present, who's brought his present kingdom. And in the midst of this difficulty, we keep looking for the not yet. Which means we keep going to the healing rooms the first Saturday of every month because the kingdom is there, right? And we keep coming up for ministry time and asking people to pray for us because the king is here. And though the not yet is not yet, it's inevitable and we don't know when. Maybe today Jesus heals me. Maybe today my family comes to, to Christ. Maybe today that addiction is broken and I, and I walk free. All, all of those things in our lives, we look with expectancy because the kingdom is here. It's present in our midst. Let's stand. I'd like to ask the ministry team to come forward just here in the front. Anyone on the ministry team? Thanks. And I'll just um, leave those points with you as something to consider as a response to the Lord right now. As it pertains to joy, maybe you need to come forward and, and literally physically with your hands, say no to fear and push it behind you. Reject fear in the name of Jesus. Maybe you need to come forward and with someone else in, in prayer, you need to say, I'm ready to deal with what is now. I'm ready to face the brutal facts, reality of my life. That might mean confession. That might mean finally telling somebody what happened back there, back then. To, to walk into healing in the presence of Jesus. And some of us just need faith. God, we need our eyes to be lifted, healed, so we can look with expectation to the not yet. So um, thanks, Nate, for playing. I just encourage you as, um, as we close the service today, if you want someone to pray for you, come on forward. And I remind you also here at the communion tables on each side, we've got little pieces of paper because you're not alone in your prayer. You're not alone in your desire and your need for peace, for hope, for joy and for love. So if, if there's something, a place where you need joy in your life or someone you know, that is desperate for the joy of Jesus. I just ask you, come forward, get a little piece of paper, 
you got pens in the, in the seat backs and write down your prayer for yourself or for that person. And then as an act of faith, take your prayer and go out into the coffee lobby and put it in the jar labeled joy. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to bring all those jars and we're going to remember what God has stirred in us, what God has promised, and we're going to celebrate what God wants to do. Just uh, one more note. Somebody gave this uh, to me during worship. For those feeling depressed, alone, and unable to feel joy, God says, reach out and serve in loving others. In serving and loving others, we find his love for us. We find joy. We find purpose. And we find our pain diminished. For some of you, a real practical way to say yes to joy is to go and be with, to serve another. So if you'd like prayer, come on forward. Otherwise, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a great day.